Hi, I'm Brad Blaylock. And I'm Brad McKeon, and welcome to The Brad Report. Warning, the Brad Report contains spoilers. This episode of the Brad Report is brought to you by Alarm Clocks, making you miserable by waking you up. The Brad Report can be found on Apple, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Anchor, and Spotify. Please rate and review us, five stars only. Make sure you subscribe, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Brad Report. All right. Today we are joined by a special guest. He is the host of a couple different podcasts I really enjoy. One is basketball themed, one's movie themed, and he's also a writer of just kind of fiction and fun stuff like that. Welcome, Brian Gill. Welcome. Woo! Hey guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be fun. Appreciate you. Yeah. So. Uh, for our guest, we are going to be belly flopping into the novel Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. We are not going to be doing uh, the movie, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about the movie at some point, but we're reviewing and reporting on the novel. Yeah, this is our second book. Yeah, this is our second book. I know. We've got the book on the logo. It's about time we started doing oh, more I, books. I thought about that the other day. I was like, man, we haven't. It's literally on the thing. We've only done one. We have it, it was an game. audio book. <laughs> Does, some people would say it doesn't count, oh, but it counts. It counts. Oh yeah, it counts. It counts. Yeah, I get to, right. as somebody who gets through fifty-two books a year, but like forty-eight of them are audio books. Audio books count. I feel like oh, so absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we're we're huge Audible fans over here. Um. But yeah, I'll uh, kick us off with our summary, and then we'll uh, jump into it with some themes. So the story is set in a dystopian in 2045 in the United States. It follows protagonist Wade Watts on his search for an Easter egg in a worldwide virtual reality game, the discovery of which would lead him to inherit the game creator's billion-dollar fortune. So that's kind of the premise. He's going on this quest. He's going on this hunt. And there's this billionaire game designer that's leaving his fortune up for grabs. If they, uh, if uh, any one player in this virtual reality completes all of the tasks first. I ask you guys, do y'all, when y'all play video games, are y'all big, are y'all big like Easter egg person? Or are you just more like streamline, like, hey, like, here's the story. Let me get through it. That type of guy. I don't play a ton of video games, but I literally just, just like last week, you know, I live in Texas. We were snowed in, iced in for, for a week. It was pretty miserable. And right before, right before, like my last trip to Target before I knew I was going to be stuck in my home with a, a seven-year-old for, for the next week or so, I bought, <laughs> uh, I bought a video game. I bought, I bought God of War. That's how behind I am. That, that game's like three years old and I bought it and played it for the first time. And uh, I texted my buddy, my co-host on on uh, Spread the Floor Basketball Podcast, Tobin. I texted him and I was like, I need a setting on these games that lets me do 
some side quests, but not all side quests because I, I want to, I want to go off and get treasure and do, you know, these little random Easter egg type things. But also I have a, I have a real tendency to want to complete everything that I do. And so I just spend hours and hours and hours <laughs> doing these sort of unnecessary little things. And at the end you're like, cool. So I, all that that came of that was like a hundred pieces of silver. Awesome. That was super worth my time. And but then I can't stop myself, so it's I don't know. I need I need an in between, but uh, some setting that lets me lets me just pick like a third of the side quests or something. So I'm one of those guys that tries to get the video game at a hundred percent completion, but it's like the impossible task, and that sure. I I like the idea of it, but when it comes to actually doing like completing it, like you said, you know, you get to. Like holy smokes, that side quest took like two hours, um, and it was exactly the same as my other side quest that I just did <laughs> like, a couple days ago. Yeah. And yeah. it's now I just kind of want to move along with the story, but there's also this unexplored stuff. So I really like the Easter eggs, the side quests, uh, the nods, the winks to the audience of like, hey, if you know, you know uh kind of things but i really like those a lot yeah i do too it ends up killing my the vibe of the whole game though like i'll spend so much time doing all these little random things and then it's like eh, okay i've played this for 50 hours I, i'm i'm done i move on and so yeah you, you only end up completing a you know a chunk of the the real story which is just very stupid on my part but but i i can't help it i can't help going for the for the i, I bite on it every time it's just i don't know yeah, and it's like uh, you always say that. Oh, I'll I'll come back in this once I finish the main storyline, and then you never do. Once once the game's beat, you're you're like, I'm not gonna play this again. Yeah, for sure. All right, Brad, you want to kick us off with some themes? Yeah, so I think the first uh, most obvious theme is the theme of the quest. You know, they're uh, hunting for the egg, and you know they have all of these questing names. You know. Parzival, who's the one that, um, uh, oh, what would what did Parzival do? He found the Holy Grail. That's right. He found the Holy Grail. And so Wade Watts named his character after him. And Artemis is another character who is named after the goddess of the hunt. And so there's this, this quest, this journey. And in all kind of action, you know, you have the hero's journey and it's, and it's a quest and you go on an adventure and the character is changed and molded by what they experience on the quest. And you definitely see that uh, played out through this, through the novel um, specifically as Wade Parzival is changed uh, throughout the, the time that the novel takes place. Yeah, that's good. And his motivations change a lot throughout the, the, the book too. Cause he starts off kind of a, and he's kind of a jerk, you know. For he's like definitely a, good, a jerk. <laughs> a good portion of it, right? And he changes by the end of it. And his, um, his motivations aren't exactly pure, but he's definitely on a quest. Um, I I think one big thing of this is just like the theme of access. And this is kind of like a really geeky, like, gamer thing in a lot of ways. But just, um, like, Halliday wanted the, Halliday's, you know, the Oasis creator. And he wanted everyone to be be able to access the oasis right there's a one-time lifetime sign up fee for 25 cents right and the quarter kind of pops up all throughout the book which is kind of weird but it's like on holiday's eyes at his funeral it's uh, there's a quote in the book that says for one quarter black tiger lets me escape my rotten 
existence for three glorious hours. And obviously the quarter save Wade's Watts life in the end. But you know, just this whole like premise of this thing is that IOI wants to take over the Oasis so they can make it inaccessible to people unless you can pay X amount of dollars, right? Whereas mm-hmm. uh, Halliday and the Gunters really want to keep it as a like very accessible and open thing to people. Yeah. Yeah, but which, and that's kind of it's kind of funny because a lot of people's like big criticism of this book is that Wade Watts is like a gatekeeper. You know, that he's like um like keeping people out of like pop culture community or gaming community. Um but like that's kind of what the whole book is about really just yeah. having access to things. Mm-hmm. Do y'all think that, that that's a fair criticism of Wade in this book? He's a gatekeeper. So when you say he's like he's keeping people out, what do you mean well, by that? Well, so like, there's like a oh man, this is getting nerdy fast. But there's like a <laughs> well, this is a very nerdy book. <laughs> well, there's this like idea that some people are like so into something that they gatekeep it in the sense of like if uh, you he's, don't know he's a if you don't know as much as I do, or if you don't you know you don't know as much as I do about James Halliday and about all these different movies and blah blah blah. Therefore, you are not as valid of a fan as I am. Oh yeah, I think deal. that's definitely a criticism, and I mean, I think you see that early on in the before he, like before he finds the first Easter egg or the first key, he figures it out. He's and the the, the character that they play it up as he's like that that guy is a jerk and he deserves to be criticized, and so I think they play it up that way. But at the same time, it's like. Hey, why can't I just? In, why can't someone just enjoy this thing to enjoy, it and they don't have to be obsessed with it? And I think that's I think that's a fair criticism of of Wade specifically, or of those people in general. That like now I don't want to, you know, there are those Office fans that are just like can quote every scene and line, and I'm just like, hey, yeah, I'm I'm still working my first way through it, and they took it off of Netflix, and people are like wanting to like say like what a terrible person I am for for not appreciating how the genius of the of the writing and the acting and I'm like okay so you got my cool. letters you're saying okay let's play. Yeah, I did get your letters <laughs> I definitely think there's something to that with Wade but I think it is a, I think it's just part of he's he's trying to develop as a human being and as a character. I mean, he's like he's 17 years old, you know, in the book. Yeah. So that's part of it. Um, I think there's an element of it. I, I think that it also has been maybe I'm not a big fan of taking um what I'm not a big fan of taking content in or characters in fiction or TV or movies or whatever and trying to apply real world issues and problems to them i just i don't know like uh as just a, a an example like like a buzzfeed feed article that's like here's the characters on friday night lights that would have voted for trump and you're like is that really necessary i don't know that 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 really brings anything to the table critically and it it certainly doesn't add to our you know the 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 things that we're dealing with on a real world basis that are very important, and so I think that's that's part of it that that with the 
with the gatekeeping bit with Wade, it's like, yeah, he sure that's part of the deal because these these people are giant dorks, um, and they don't have <laughs> anything else really in their lives except knowledge of of 80s stuff and you know doing this quest and stuff so yeah of course they're going to be kind of gatekeepery but that doesn't mean that we uh i i don't know I, I don't know that we need to apply uh like gamergate to ready player <laughs> one and and make those two things synonymous to the point that it's like well the book's bad because of do you know what i mean like it, it just there's yeah, a yeah. there's no, a certain I amount of like it's a great. it's a character in fiction so yeah and I'm i i think there's also something to be said that. about Wade's a he's a better person by the end of the book, you know. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he gets. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a good point. It's just like, um, you know, this is a this is a fictional character within a context that's that's fictional, and right. at, at the same time, I think there are some uh, some valuable lessons. I think in uh, especially, I think. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into this more later with uh, talking about the sequel, but um, yeah, I think that's good. Just like, you know, taking him in the context that he's in as the character that he is and as he grows and develops. Um, Because like, yeah, kind of like ridiculous of like, well, who would who would have Gandalf voted for? You know, it's just like, what are you talking about? You know, (laughs) Um, that's a that's totally irrelevant. Um, Brad, do you want to kick us off with the next theme? Or I guess, uh, Brian, we, we almost skipped you. I'm so used to just meet Brad and I. Do you have any themes that <laughs> stuck out uh, to yeah, you? I, I think you guys are right on, on what you said. Um, I think there's a big part of it that's about uh, identity and appearances that you're putting out there and, and just trying to... I mean, again, it's, he's 17, 18 years old, so that's part of it. But I, I do think part of what makes the book resonate for for a lot of people is that you kind of it's pretty easy to see yourself i i think for a lot of people in that the whole concept of like he's a different person online than he is in real life and he's you know he doesn't have any confidence and but online he gets to be who he really wants to be and then in the process of that is you know slowly actually becoming that person and stuff. So I kind of, I dig that. I like the way that the, that, that explores that, that side of things. Um, and then there's a bit of, of, of it's, it is a quest for the Holy grail. So you, it, uh, you get immortality sort of side part of this. And that's a, an interesting theme that they explore pretty well. Uh, and I think, uh, it makes for an interesting kind of B story type stuff. I think the identity part is really interesting in this book because for most of the, for a large portion of the book, the, uh, these characters identity is what they're projecting to the world as opposed to like what they really are, you know? And so it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, and there's a quote from um, Artemis where she says, no one ever looks anything like their avatar. And this idea that, you know, our online kind of personification is different than who we really are. Obviously, in a world like the Oasis, it's kind of taken to the extreme, right? Because this whole living person inside a different world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good. I also like um, picking, piggybacking off of that is like, um, you know, the reality, an, an illusion uh, conundrum uh, that this, um, this plays into is like, you know, um, 
they go into the oasis every day to escape what the reality of their situation of like people are starving, you know, um, Wade was living in the projects and like, you know, um, disease. And it was just like, life was really bad. And like people went into the oasis to, to escape that re reality and like an embracing, uh, an illusion, uh, that like wasn't real, but they were living their lives in that. And like, it was very addicting. And like, even, um, one of the things that I think really contrast Wade's and Artemis's characters is that he's like, if I win the money, I'm going to build a spaceship and leave earth behind. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, we need to try and save the planet. Like mm -hmm. she's still somewhat grounded in, um, in the reality of like trying to fix the world. And he's like, well, let's just abandon it all. You know, um, that was one of the things that stood out to me. And it's like, at the end of the book, you see that Wade's grown a lot in that area. And he's like pretty content to, to not go back into the Oasis again. Um, and, but then you get a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the, re the reality bit's kind of weird. Cause like, I don't know. So I, I spent a lot of time online. Like I love the internet. I, mean, I love uh, Twitter and Reddit. So and, helpful. And, That's so useful. Oh, it's great. <laughs> and you, like, you meet people that I feel like I think is that you can make genuine connections with people, right? Uh, through the internet. Of course. Uh, but there's this weird bit of the, like, even in this book where him and Artemis are like kind of flirty and kind of getting to know each other, but like their relationship isn't, really like actualized until they finally meet and kiss and then he's like oh this is oh you know like kissing you is in real life is actually better than <laughs> hanging out with you in the oasis or whatever um but and the whole thing's just kind of interesting to me and and there seems to be this like inverse relationship with people's physical bodies and their avatar mm -hmm. I, like the more time they spend like pumping up their avatar the more um like their physical body tends to degrade in the book and so but at the same time, like the Oasis has real value, right? Like yeah. people are spending real money on this thing and there are real consequences to you losing your avatar and your avatar dying. Like it's mm -hmm. a very real thing. So I don't know. Yeah. And you got any more themes for us? No, I think uh, for me, at least I think you guys covered it all. Ah, well, I got one, one more real quick. It just the idea of dissatisfaction. Of course you do. Well, yeah, just, <laughs> just, uh, dissatisfaction, right? Like uh, invention, invention isn't always the product of necessity. Sometimes people are just like not exactly satisfied with life, right? Like, yeah. Uh, you think of like dumb little inventions, like the clapper and stuff like that, like turning off lights by speaking and stuff. It's not that like, that's not necessary, right? People are just dissatisfied with getting up and walking to, an outlet now you can let alexa do it you don't even have exactly. to clap i can't tell you the last time i've set like a, a timer cooking like on my phone or anything i just hey alexa great man wonderful you're living the good life oh she's great i love alexa <laughs> i tell her thank you every time but and people in in this world are just so like dissatisfied with everything because mm -hmm. the world's the world sucks at this point right there's famine poverty uh mass like wars hmm yeah, I mean, I think, though, at the same time, I would say 
uh, to quote our good friend, Jared Kennedy, uh, shout out to him as we were kind of talking about, uh, so spoilers, you know, for WandaVision, um, like with, uh, he says, you know, there's a difference between fantasy and illusion. So, you know, fantasy is a good thing and that it wakes you up to like helps you appreciate the reality of the world as it is. Illusion is just a lie. Um, and so, you know, fantasy can be helpful. And so I think there are some like to not completely disagree with you, but say like, you know, there are some good things about the world. Like, you know, we like, we have the internet, you know, as you said before, and like, there's some good things, but like everybody is dissatisfied. And, um, but that same point, like with the book, like Wade's looking for contentment and happiness. And he thinks the, the contest and, and finding all the Easter eggs is going to bring that. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's the relationships that really save him. Hmm. So that's it for themes. All right. Storytelling. So this is a super awesome and original idea. And so I, what I want to take uh, a second is uh, just for each of us to like, talk about like when you first heard about this book and when you first read it and what your experience was like as you read it. Uh, I I didn't really hear about this book until I think until like they announced that the movie was being made, and then I was like, oh, this is kind of a weird deal. Like, what is this? And then I talked to like you and uh, a couple other people. Like, yeah, it's this book. You have to get it. And so I went and bought it. Um, or I might have checked out from the library. I don't remember. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You but, read it. <laughs> uh, it. It's kind of a weird deal when you're first reading it. You're like, okay, there's this massive video game. You only get one life. Why do you only get one life? Who would play this game that you only get one life in? Um, but overall, like it's just such a neat like idea, and especially when you get into like the world building of this idea that like it's it's kind of encompassed and like developed and evolved into a second reality. Like it's not just a video game anymore. Yeah. Right. Like it's not just um, like World of Warcraft on steroids. Like it is a whole different plane of existence that people live on and operate in. Um, that cause it, that people like work in and like make money in, and there's whole economies in the Oasis. It's 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 unreal. So I just think it's a super neat idea, really. Yeah, Brian, what about you? Yeah, I read it uh, in 2013, uh, and it Ooh, just nice. was a it was something that that I don't even remember who recommended it to me or or whatever, but it was the uh, is the first book I. I don't know why I remember this. I just got an iPad that year and I, it was the first book that I ever read, uh, in, in, uh, ebook form. Uh, and yeah, like I love sci-fi. I, I, I dig, um, I especially really dig like kind of grounded sci-fi, which I would put this as. And, uh, and I thought, I don't know, it just, it looked really cool. It's, it had good reviews and, and, uh, I read it on a, or at least read the bulk of it on a on a on a, a trip to uh, I think we were my my wife and I went to Denver and I read a bunch of it and I just was like this is awesome like I'm just I'm completely I'm fascinated by this entire the the structure of this whole thing and the I think the Oasis is a really and I look the the Oasis that kind of obviously a part of um science fiction for for years and years I just think it took to a this book took it to a different level and did different things with it. it's just really 
really fascinating. I this book is crap for the world world building. I think the world building aspect is actually pretty great. Um, maybe it's not like I don't know, like Harry Potter or something in terms of like from from beginning to end to A to Z from one book to from the first book to the seventh book. This entire thing laid out, but um, I think it's it's pretty well done. And I so I really I think it's I think it's a cool concept, and I I appreciate the way that it that it unfolds. Um, um, I think Klein's might be a a one hit wonder type of a, a writer creator, um, and the the two books that have come out since uh, certainly haven't haven't hurt that that feeling for me. But <laughs> but he got it really he got it really right this one time, and it's a. Uh, I don't know. I, to me, it has all the the kind of classic elements of a science fiction book, but it works in the pop culture element really well. And uh, uh, so, I, you know, I, I I enjoyed it. I loved it first time out. That's probably my favorite book, um, at least favorite uh, favorite work of fiction. And uh, I read it. Wow. I read it. I probably read it four or five times since since uh, 2013. So that's a pretty. I mean, I don't revisit books all that frequently. So this is this is kind of a comfort read for me at this point, especially with the audiobook. You know, you put it on when I'm like in oh, that, so that span where I've used up all my Audible credits or whatever. You're just like, yeah, sure, I'll listen to that again. That's that's fine. Um, there are other series of books. Harry Potter, I mentioned the Red Rising trilogy. Um, even oh. like going back to like Lord of the Rings. But I probably like those series more than I like this individual book, but I really dig this book quite a bit. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a lot of, it, it's at least very, even if it's not good, if you think it's bad, okay, whatever. But um, I think it's very, uh, it, it grabs you with the, the concept and the way that it's laid out. And I found that to be very interesting. So. Oh yeah, that's great, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I love this book uh, as well, and I was so. Um, I think I read this in either. Uh, I want to say 2015. I think is when I read it. Okay. Um, maybe 2016. Um, but my brother, one of my older brothers, had bought it. Had bought it and read it, and then he bought it for me. I read it and it was, I mean, it was just fantastic. You know, I loved, like, I really loved the world building aspect of it as well. And, um, you know, I, I tend to agree that he, Ernest Klein is a, as a one hit wonder. I thought Armada was, was good enough. It wasn't obviously sure. as awesome as ready player one, but with the sequel, which, um, you know, <laughs> It just is. I love your face. Sorry, the facial expression is like. I feel like that's exactly how I look when I when I was when I say something about it. It's like it's fine. I just I don't know. It's just kind of have this sort of (laughs) like it was. I was completely. I mean, this this is kind of getting ahead to our questions at the end. But I was completely satisfied with Mm -hmm. one novel, one story. You wrapped it up perfectly. It had a great ending. And now it's been tainted by the sequel, <laughs> um, which is unfortunate. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I really love this book. And so I read it, um, the paperba- a paperback version of it. And then I, I downloaded the Audible version as well. And there was a, a time when I was like, I know it was a good book when, because mostly I'll listen to audio books like, you know, in the car or doing dishes, cooking dinner. 
there's a time when I was just laying in my bed and I was just listening to it, like doing nothing else. And like, that's how I know when I have like, I'm really into a book, even though I've read it before. It's like that, um, that last kind of third where it really picks up and it really just is like, what is going to happen? Like, how is this all going to get fixed? Um, yeah, it's super awesome. All right, next. Uh, so, so many references, so many 80s references in this book. He's constantly citing and quoting things. Um, so, what is your, what do you, if you can think of it specifically, what is like your favorite reference um, that he mentioned in the book or just like a string of things that he mentioned or went over? I mean, I love all the D&D references. I, I love playing <laughs> D&D. I, I'm in like a Star Wars D&D campaign now. That's a lot of fun. Um, so all the D&D references are great. I thought the old video game references were fun too. Like these aren't games I grew up playing, right? Like I didn't grow up playing Joust or, you know, um, Black Tiger or these other games that they mentioned. But it was the type of thing that I was so interested in. Like I would stop and like Google uh, these games. And I, oh, absolutely. Like, YouTube clips try to get a figure, like, try to figure out what these games were exactly. And so they're fun, you know, that. But it's just they weren't, you know, they weren't references that hit on any part of the like nostalgia for me. Mm-hmm. But it was super fun to go like look up stuff, and obviously like, the like the Mecha Godzilla reference is awesome. Yeah, and Ultraman and Super Super Spider Man references are yeah. great. So yeah, yeah, that was super great. Yeah, I I mean I just loved he was starting to describe like all of the worlds that like, and all of the sections, like the, like the Tolkien section, like the star Wars section and like all those things. And just uh, imagining all of those things and being um, just like, kind of like letting my imagination run wild is like, Oh man, what it would be like to actually run around in those (laughs) worlds and experience those things as like, like an open world, you know, kind of just, a game to like in a way that i can't experience it by by watching a movie or like i think i would experience it by reading a book like kind of imagining in my head but like having it be in front of me and actually doing that mm. so that's probably one of the things that like i really enjoyed the most and and letting my imagination run wild in that way yeah, I don't have a specific. This is my favorite reference. Uh, what I, what I think I dig most about the the references, and they, they come. I mean, it's like a it's like watching an episode of Thirty Rock with jokes. It's just like it's it's perpetual, and I get that 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 frustrates people. Um, I you know, I'm a little bit older than you guys, uh, so I am actually I am a child of the '80s, but but I was you know I was born in '83, so the '80s era is not as um is not as prevalent in my mind or certainly doesn't have as many memories as you know the 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 90s do and stuff so what i kind of dig about this book and it again is another thing brad that was very much lost i think in this in the sequel was that the i felt like at least for me as somebody who wasn't a teenager or older in the 80s a lot most of the references um in this book are just obscure enough to where you kind of know you understand like the the idea or the concept behind it, or maybe even like yeah i kind of know uh a little bit about that 
particular music scene, even if I don't know a lot about Rush from this era or or whatever. But it was just like it's just familiar enough to where it could be nostalgic without being like the most obvious um song video game movie whatever that you could come up with every single every every time it's just kind of for me at least felt like yeah uh, war games is a little bit of a is a cool choice compared to what you might go with uh if if, if i was because i'm not that great of a writer if i was writing the book maybe that reference would would be a a bigger movie a more popular movie same with like joust and things like that maybe those video games would be a little bit different um so i kind of appreciated that despite Again, if you if you hate the reference thing and it gets annoying, I I understand, but uh, I I appreciate that he kind of did vaguely obscure choices for a lot of those things, at least for somebody who who you know wasn't a teenager in the eighties or wasn't cool in the in the eighties, didn't have cool parents that uh, did cool <laughs> stuff for the eighties. But uh, I like the D and D stuff too. I think that I grew up playing a lot of D and D, and uh, so it was. This was sort of at the when this book came out, it's like right at the very beginning of the, the sort of D and D renaissance or resurgence or whatever. Uh, and I, I think it, it, I don't know. For me at least, reading this for the first time, you know, at age thirty, having not played D and D in, I don't know, fifteen plus years, probably it was. It kind of like re reignited that of like oh man that was a lot of fun gave me a lot of good memories of that sort of time so I, I i dig that stuff and i think that's really well done within this book yeah a lot of people i feel like don't they don't like the references um like to me it's just like well, okay then just don't read the book you know like yeah like he says yeah. like on the back cover like the, um one of the reasons he's writing this book is to be like a pop culture like reference point, right? Like he, like part of his goal in writing this was to just get in as many pop culture references as he could, you know? And so I just, I don't know. Like that's, that was the whole point of the book. And if you don't like that, that's okay. Yeah. Right. But yeah. it just doesn't seem like a fair criticism to me. It's like, you know, sure. saying you didn't like a musical because there was music. It's like, well, okay, well that's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like yeah. what this thing is. So yeah, you just don't like the genre and that's fine. Yeah. And it's part of the, it's part of Wade's like continual like training and of himself. It's like he says, you know, he can't not do it. And as he's like continually like training and refreshing and studying up for like 80s pop culture to try and find Halliday's Easter egg. And it's just like, well, it's it's from his point of view. So, of course, like, right. I know in my head when I see something that I recognize, I'm like, oh, this is that actor who played in this movie. That was he also started in this movie and this movie and this movie and sure. or which took place in this, you know. Um, but I think I thought it was fine and it's like it's cool to learn about. Like I definitely know a lot more about the eighties now. Right. Than I did before, because <laughs> you know, you're uh Brian, you're on the pod with two nineties kids right yeah. now. Um <laughs> who grew up in the early two thousands. I don't even what did they call that decade? Which decade? The, the one after the 90s the aughts it's, it's not the twi- it's not the 20 teens it's like the, the double o's you know yeah what the aughts i think that's what they, that's at least what we call it, the aughts yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, well, just the odds the aughts yeah the, the aughts i've yeah, never heard aughts. anyone say the double o's <laughs> you've heard me say the double o's okay <laughs> go ahead sure that counts um yeah, that's all I've got for for storytelling. I don't know if uh, 
Um, I already kind of talked about the questing aspect of it. I don't know if you all want to hop back on that at all. I do love this. Is, this kind of goes with both of those things. I, I'm big. We on on Mad About Movies. We talk a lot about exposition, and that's an easy. It's, we talk a lot about it because it's a very easy thing to pick out and say good or bad. The exposition in that scene or whatever that was terrible. You know that was ridiculous. We don't need that much exposition or even. Hey, I could have used. I don't know what's happening in this movie. I could use a little exposition. I love. I love the the scene setting and the exposition of holiday and the quest itself, like the mm -hmm. descriptors of that video that he puts out with all the Easter eggs. And I'm somebody, when I read, I skip over description, descriptive stuff real quickly. I just jump from dialogue to dialogue and kind of skim the stuff that's in between, which uh, is not great for reading comprehension, but you know, it, it is what it is. But uh, that was a, that was a stretch and this this whole book is that way but that in particular was a stretch where i was really paying attention to every word i just thought the the descriptive dialogue or descriptive language there is so great and um i i really really love the way that uh that 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 exposition plays out that you just see it gives you such a great explainer for like why this is such a big deal for why all of these people are so obsessed with this thing and uh, and I think that the that video itself, again, I'm reading it, uh, but but the the way it's it's written out, I, it's just so cool. And it for me, at least that was an, an th that comes what probably 50 pages into the book or something like that. That yeah. is an instantaneous dude. I am locked in. This is awesome. Like this is a really cool. I want to be part of the quest. This is a really cool yeah. thing that he did. And I think that that's to me, that's that may be his best writing in the whole book is. That's really inspired couple of uh, chapters there that, you know, hooks you in and gets the reader. It definitely puts you in a place where if nothing else, you can definitely understand why a 17 year old kid who lives in the 40th story of a trailer park in his aunt's laundry room would be obsessed with with that quest. And I think that's that's the whole point. So it's a great, great piece of writing to me. Yeah, no, I agree. Like that's uh. Yeah, that's a, a, a good point. It's just like, like, even as you were talking about it, I can remember vividly just like him talking about where Halliday's standing and how he was changing clothes and appearances and um, mm -hmm. like standing over his own dead body with the quarters over his eyes. And um, and as as he talks about as he's describing the video, he says, you know, I've watched this thing hundreds, hundreds of times and describing it with such detail which is it's super captivating and then even in some of the um some of the descriptions of those pop culture references that i'm not as familiar with is like going and then looking it up and being like oh that's exactly how it is um like the intro to the movie war games like you can go and youtube that scene and he's just just he describes it like perfectly and and visualizes it and it's it's so great you know Absolutely. Yeah. Like down to the less, the, the, the tiniest deal, like the, we mentioned D and D stuff. Like I remember, I don't think I ever played that, that module, but when, when I was reading the book for the first time, I was like, this is like, I remember this, this dungeon module and this is very intricate in the, in the details. Like he has gotten this a hundred percent right. Um, there's, 
<laughs> there's certainly no uh lack of credibility in in ernest klein's nerdiness you know as he puts that no, on no. display with this book like from from the very beginning but yeah uh, and i you know and i do that it's it's a it's a good bit it's very authentic to his to him obviously absolutely All right, so let's get into some characters. So starting off, we've got our hero, Wade Watts, Parzival with a Z. And I think he's a very good, nerdy, angsty, socially awkward teenager that likes video games too much. It's a good name for a superhero. Yeah. So that's, yeah, what's his... uh his dad named yeah. Him. His dad named that because he. Uh, it's a good like good superhero name. Uh -huh. Alliteration, right? Is yep. that what it is? That, that's the that's, that's the word. The, that's the gra grammatic term. Wade Watts, <laughs> WW. <laughs> I like Wade Watts's like journey over this this book. A lot of like, people dig on this. I think a lot of the people digs on this book are kind of unfair in a lot of ways, but. A lot of people dig on Wade as a person in this book, but I feel like he really grows and by the end of it is kind of a decent person, you know, which is like what you want, right? Out of a character, right? Character growth and development and becoming a better. Yeah. Um, seeing growth out of them. And I feel like he gets, he gets that. So I like Wade a lot. Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I agree. I don't mind. I mean, there's a long history of your main protagonist being kind of a wiener you know and so whether it's book or tv movie like right now i'm rewatching for the first time since it's a horrific uh final season i've been rewatching how i met your mother and the whole oh, time i'm just like man love that kind of a dingus like <laughs> he is a dingus <laughs> yeah, so, it's just it's kind of it and it didn't really hit me as much watching first time through i mean i've, I've rewatched that show a ton but i have not watched an episode since the since the finale because it betrayed me so hard, but uh, but rewatching now, I'm just like, yes, I don't know. But with him, he just and that's that's kind of a thing that happens with sitcoms. You you regress the longer your show goes because you just you run out of steam, um, and you're just trying to keep things going. But but at least with Wade, you get you do get. I think you do. You get a character progression, and and I I think that some of the, I think that some of the criticism towards him is totally fair. And then I think sure. also that if he was a fully formed human being at 17 years old, um, that would be ridiculously unrealistic and also would not be an interesting book because he would be a fully formed human being at 17 years old. So there has to be some progression. I, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think it's totally fair to say he's kind of whiny and he's definitely um, very, uh, <laughs> very sure of his knowledge of everything, but that also that that's, probably what he would be like if if this person was a real human being and this was a real quest so i mean yeah i know that i was not um the most fun open-minded well-rounded human being at 17 years old so i i, yeah, I, I i'm okay with same <laughs> i like actively suck so <laughs> i mean i i led our basketball district in one stat in high school and it was technical fouls so <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I'm a big fan of technical fouls as well, so I I, I fully understand. But yeah, I mean it's just like yeah, he's 17. Of course he's a jerk. Yeah, yeah. Of course he doesn't know how to talk to him. Of course he's he's just kind of 
pervasively horny. Of course he is. He's 17 years old. Like what, what, what do we, what do you want? Um, it's, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that I agree. it's fair to, like I said, I think it's fair to say he's annoying or he's a jerk and also fair to say, but that's, that's realistic. So. Well, my thing is I, by the end of it, he has character progression. And it's like, what more do you want? You know, at that point, yeah, it's like, right. well, well, what you know? What, what's the point of calling people out and stuff if it's not for them to grow ultimately? So yeah. whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think his his big kind of like pitfall moment, um, is when like Artemis kind of like breaks up with him, or he's like, "Hey, I love you," and like this yeah. is my real name, and she's like, "You don't even know me. Like, what are you doing?" And so like I think that I perfectly, Mark. Yeah, perfectly captures though, um, what a a teenage boy that's never had a girlfriend and <laughs> finally finds some girl that likes him. And yeah, he just can tolerate like, him. <laughs> yeah, sure. just can tolerate him. And he's just like, no, like my life doesn't have meaning if this person doesn't like me back. And it, like, that's so real. Well, and especially <laughs> in like this context, it's gotta be like hyperized, right? Where he literally doesn't talk to humans like in real life. Like it's all on the internet. And so I have to imagine like the social skills in this uh, like society is yeah. a, like less than oh, ours, yeah. you know, like. Right. Totally. Totally. And yeah. we suck too. So, I mean, I didn't know how to yeah. talk to them. Not, <laughs> not effectively. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he's good. I mean, he's a, like, I think that any good story is just like, does the character change? And do they change in like in an upward trajectory? And he does. And um, yeah, I think like you see that as he kind of gets into his new apartments in Cleveland and he's starting to do the exercise and he he regiments himself. He gets routine order. And then he even as the like, I remember reading the chapter when he gets arrested being like, what in the world is going on? Like, how does this happening? And what I think I really love about books that do this well is, you know, stuff that happens off of the page that they then like things are happening and then they go back and explain like, oh, this is what I did. And this is why I'm here. It's like that was a, a fun chapter and it was like a really pretty brilliant um, thing uh, moved by Wade. Yeah, um, totally. All right. James Donovan Halliday, Steve Jobs Jr. <laughs> I read like one article I thought made a really good comparison. They said it was like Willy Wonka meets the Matrix, and that's James Halliday. When, uh, that seems when that movie got, when it moved to Spielberg, because there was a stretch where it was like potentially going to be made by Christopher Nolan, and then it moved to Spielberg, and I'm a big. I'm a huge Spielberg guy. Uh, hot take. I like Steven Spielberg, but um, I was I was so pumped with that. And there was a before he they cast Mark Rylance, who I think is great, great actor. Um, there was a a rumor that Spielberg was trying to get Gene Wilder to play that part, and it was I was just like, oh my god, that would be perfect because that's kind of what I envision when I when I read this book is like a a more muted version of, of Willy Wonka. And uh, I think that would have, that would have been super cool if he could have talked Wilder into coming out of retirement for it. But I, yeah, I, I think that's a great, that's a great comparison. Yeah, that is good. That is really good. Yeah. I think, I mean, just like eccentric to a T. Um, and I think one of the, the best lines that like 
Ogden Morrow uses to describe him is like is why he created the contest and like even describing some of their times in high school is like you know he was obsessed with getting other people to like what he loved you know which is like and he succeeded in that but he's also like this kind of like behind the scenes figure that's also like the ghost in the machine that's like motivating them on on their quest and it's, it's really cool um to see that as like kind of the guide mentor slash ghost that you're chasing after in that aspect. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. That's very cool. I, I love Holiday. I think he's a really interesting character and the, I think very, I think maybe of all of these characters, I think that's the one that is the most, um, put that, uh, well developed from start to finished or 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 st- I, maybe maybe he, he kind of because he's older that's part of it you don't have to you don't have to develop a, a, a 75 or 80 year old dude but he has right. the he he i think klein's really had a fully formed character with holiday and that he's so to me he's the well the most well-rounded of the book like i really i dig those moments where you're you're jumping back into Halliday's life, or Wade is talking to uh, the Avatar and things like that. I I just think that's a that is a character that I think really is very easily understood and has a lot of depth to it from uh, from the very beginning. So I, I love I love Halliday, and that one is another one that the seek the the second book you're just like kind of we took this great thing and we kind of yeah. stripped it down yeah. and made it less great. This is kind of sucky, but. <laughs> And now he's the bad guy. Now he's the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers for the second one. He's the bad guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, what do you all... I think Ogden Morrow, uh, he's the next person we have on this. It's like, you don't see him a lot, but I think he, he's a fun character nonetheless. He's just like... Um, he's kind of this like this jolly Santa Claus kind of character. Uh, he's kind and caring, but he's also powerful, and he he takes a, a liking to the high five and and mm-hmm. their team. But and so he's like always like jovial, but he's also like he's like the most powerful avatar in the oasis, and he and he like uses that uh, sparingly. But he's also just like it's a uh, it's fun to see those those moments are just like holy smokes, like this guy's not messing around. Did y'all, uh, so there's a moment in the book wherein they're all in like the clubhouse, like H's clubhouse, mm-hmm. and the books fall off, and they're like, oh, yeah. it must be a glitch. And later you find out that's Ogden Mora, yeah. and he's, you know, eavesdropping on their conversations. Did you guys like have any inkling of, of it maybe being somebody else, or did you guys? I thought when I read it, I thought I was like, I was like, that's not an accident. Did you think it was Ogden Mora, though? Or? No, I had no idea who it was. Yeah. I thought it was going to end up being Sorrento or the uh, what's the 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 one who's how oh, the the guy who's always trying to mess with them at the beginning. I can't remember that character Iraq. name. Yeah, yeah, Iraq. yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought it might be somehow it might be that. Yeah, I was not expecting Ogden Moro at all. All that stuff. And I, what I love about Moro, I, I'm a I'm a big big fan of the. Uh, like father figure and surrogate father stuff in, in film or TV or, or books and, and, uh, or real life. I think that's a good thing to try to, I've worked with kids for 
for like 15 years and and do a I lot of uh figures. try to do a lot of mentoring and stuff yeah it's <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I think <laughs> yeah real life not a fan though don't don't uh <laughs> don't take kindly to no i think it's a i i i think that that adds some depth to this book because i think all of these care all the the high five need a a father need a parental figure of some type or another like we get the impression that like artemis's parents are were good right like that they were pretty pretty decent yeah um but they're all sort of missing that element from their life and then they have og sort of fills that but he's also the coolest dude that on the planet and so it's a it's sort of a double role for him but i, I think that that's a important part of uh for me at least why the book works i think the more you learn about why, og, they, de why they develop at least yeah I think the more you learn about him, the more you like him too. Like, um, I feel like it'd be such a tough position. Like your best friend and business partner is in love with your wife. You know, that's just a hard, it's a weird place to be in. And I feel like Og, Og seems to handle as best as anybody, yeah, seriously. As anybody could really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's pair H and Artemis together. Um, H, I think, is you know, he's he's uh, we found out is a she, uh, I can't even remember her name. What's her real Helen. name? Helen, Helen, I think, yeah. So, but yeah, super fun. I think, uh, seeing hers and uh, Wade's friendship is really cool, and then also, um. Helen Harris. Helen Harris. Yeah. It's also then seeing like um, kind of like his dynamic with Artemis as well, how that develops and kind of changes and challenges him. And each of those uh, things kind of affect each other as they are all trying to do this solo. And then at the end is that, that they all need each other is that, you know, they pride themselves on not being part of any Gunter clans, but the way that the contest is set up at the end is that you have to do this with, with other people. Mm -hmm. You can't do it alone. Yeah. I think if the same rules apply to H that apply to Wade, right? Like catfishing somebody, probably not the greatest. Yeah, not a great thing. <laughs> also, she's 17 and figuring herself out as well. So like, yeah. cut her some slack. <laughs> yeah. Right. I thought that was a, yeah. I don't think the writing for for H is great, but I think that that character is very good, and it it's a very that's one of the things I think the movie got got right more than than anything else. I think uh, Lena Waite is is really good in that role, and it it she brings a lot to the table, and that it sort of fleshes out um, what is not to me at least is not one of the better written parts of of the book but i really liked the character a lot and i, I like her uh, her development and her journey and whatnot that she is going on um it's it's just to me i, I don't think i don't think side characters are ernest klein's strength personally so i would concur with that 100 <laughs> yeah. percent i i thought h was fine in the book there's one there's a couple characters later that we'll talk about that i'm like okay he just kind of neglected, but I thought H was fine. Artemis is great. I think Artemis kind of rules. Um, she's probably my favorite character of this book, honestly. She she kind of she comes into it with she's well rounded. She comes into the whole like 
egg treasure hunt with like noble intentions, whereas Parzival kind of has to develop these, right? At first, he just wants to be rich and get a spaceship and leave, um, which is fine. That's probably what I would want to do, you know. But Thomas <laughs> is like, oh, I'm going to make sure everyone can eat food. And so, like, oh, okay. You're a better person than me. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I think Artemis is definitely sort of the moral center of that group. And and you said it is is much more of a well-formed character coming in. I mean, she has her own development stuff that needs to be figured out. And she also is only a kid. So you, you know, it, it, it takes a little while, but she definitely has a, a leg up on, on Wade coming into this whole thing. Uh, and I, I think mm-hmm. that comes, that is very clear in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Next we have Daito and Shoto, which other side characters they're rounding out the high five you know they're they're cool to to get some other characters and like i think their avatars are really cool and like the names for the samurai sword and like the samurai dagger um but you know they're just kind of there um they're there for um uh, for people for way to interact with and kind of like move the plot along in certain circumstances that like oh ioi actually killed daito um you know, they yeah. don't kill him in the movie, but um, this is like holy smokes! Like this is serious. And like, yeah, didn't they don't they throw him out of his balcony and yeah. stages the suicide? Yeah, yeah, Whew. yeah. And you're like, oh, this is intense. Um, <laughs> and but it's uh, yeah. That's a, so. I mean, that's all I have. Like they're fine. Yeah, I I think the inclusion of a bunch of like Japanese pop culture is really fun, right? Um, like especially at the Japanese Spider-Man show that gets included a lot in this, which is fun. But Dido and Shoto are just kind of. I I I think I agree with Brian when he's you know, this just isn't Ernest is mm-hmm. his strong suit, and I feel like Dido and Shoto kind of kind of catch the brunt of that. Yeah, I think uh, in way with some Wade's dialogue and his over top the top reverence with like Dido and Shoto, and even with uh when he's first meeting Artemis and like kind of like trying to have like game game respects game and like over the top, like, Hey, you're a real player. Like, Oh, you're, you're a legend, you know? And like, um, I'm just like, okay, like let's move it along. Yeah. <laughs> and I think sure. That's like, as you said, like definitely you feel that with Daito and Shoto a lot. You're like, okay, whatever. Like formalities, formalities, titles, titles, like <laughs> let's get this over with. Right, yeah. Talking about the, the like reverence thing with with a wade so so you work for a church and you work you work for a church as well brian and i have mm-hmm. i have before i i felt we've all met a person like wade in the like christian circles you know or it's just like just wants people to know so badly how much he knows about certain things and honestly like wade kind of follows this whole you know, this is kind of like a religious thing for him in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of devotion and stuff like that. Uh, but I feel like I've met a hundred Wade Watts in my life. <laughs> yeah. He's very insecure, right? And and the one place that he has any level of confidence is in his knowledge of Halliday and the quest. Mm-hmm. And so you just get an overabundance of like, <laughs> you know, 
facts and fact and actuallys actually you know and yeah no i, <laughs> yeah. I totally yeah in church circles it at least in my it uh, well lots of teenagers like this for sure but even yeah. still <laughs> adults where you're just like totally get it you love jesus me too awesome like i'm super with you but we could you know we could we could also have a real conversation that's not just quoting scripture or something but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny uh all right lastly we have nolan sorrento our big bad our villain who like honestly was like pretty intimidating i think like he was good villain and like especially when they like when they were blowing up the stacks i was like holy smokes like they actually did that like he killed all those people <laughs> no there's like a hundred random people just dead yeah it was wild yeah i think yeah, i think he's I think a great he, villain i really do i, do I think too. he measures up very well to what it is and i i'm with you like the reading that for the first time and you you know i've read plenty of ya books over the and this this sort of skirts the line i think of of between ya and and not what i don't know what the next adult uh, whatever but uh it's not like um the divergent series or something like that that's like very clearly meant for 15 year olds um and but i've read plenty of those those types of books and it's pretty rare that you, you actually get the stakes raised in that way like like they did with this like i remember reading it the first time and just kind of thinking not necessarily this is an empty threat, but obviously we're going to figure out a way out of this. And instead he's like, nope, he just, he just blew up a bunch of people and made it look <laughs> like a meth lab. And you're just like, Oh, okay. So this guy's like, not like corporate evil. He's like evil, evil. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, that changes what we're, what we're doing here. Yeah. At first to me, like there's really not a ton of difference before this. Right. But there's not a ton of difference between Nolan and Wade Watts in a lot of ways. Like they both, both after the same thing, right? They're after this egg. They're after um, like the money and the like, the power that comes with it. You know, at the beginning, that's why Wade is after it, at least, and Nolan is too. And like they, they kind of crap on IOI for having like, this wealth of knowledge and all these people working on it. But that's not like super different, really, than like having Gunter like message boards and uh, having the worldwide internet like even more at the tip of your finger. Yeah. So it's not super different, but then Nolan starts killing people. <laughs> and yeah. They're like, oh, okay. Right. right. I see what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, 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 he's a big bad, bad. And I think, uh, Ben, uh, is Mendelssohn who plays him in the movie? Like, I mean, yeah, I could be playing villains for the rest of his life and I would be content with that. He's really good at that. <laughs> he just yeah, kind of has yeah. that a little bit of a menace to him. You just kind of believe that oh, you would do these things, I think. So really well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right. Anything else that you want to add about any of the characters? All right. So let's move on to scenes and quotes. So um, I don't have any quotes because this is a novel and there's a lot of stuff here. <laughs> um I think Brad has some quotes. Um, Brad, do you want to go ahead and uh, lead us off with some of those quotes? Sure. I'll just read through the quotes I wrote down. Uh, no one in the world gets what they want, and that is beautiful. No one ever looks anything like their avatar. 
Growing up as a human being on planet Earth in the 21st century was a real kick in the teeth, existentially speaking. <laughs> I felt that way. Like that's funny. <laughs> I, I know, like Brian, you mentioned not like relating things to real world problems necessarily, but like 2020. Re- that's right. that quote. I was kind of, you know, you're not wrong. Like it, it, you're right. <laughs> Good call. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> uh, next. You live inside this illusion. You can't possibly know what real love is. That's Artemis to Wade, right? Yeah, that's Artemis to Wade. And that's when, so, you know, they have this relationship, but it doesn't feel real until they're in the real world necessarily. Yeah. And I, I, as someone who loves the internet, I, I still like the idea that the real world is more real than the internet. And so I'm kind of pro the way this book kind of ends and, shoves it towards where Parzival is eventually like, you know what? Like maybe I should go outside. Well, I mean, it leaves him in this place of contentment. And like the last line of the book is like, I don't ever have to, I don't care if I ever go into the Oasis ever again. And then they completely <laughs> undercut that with the sequel. Well, we're talking about this one right now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the last one I had, the last quote is as terrifying and painful as reality can be. It's the only place where you can find happiness. James Halliday. It's mm. good. Those are some good quotes, man. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Wow. Yeah, you pulled uh, out some good ones. I was trying to think of stuff, and I was like, this is, I, don't, I don't think the dialogue is the best part of this book by any any stretch of the imagination. So those are no. uh, those are pretty good. Those are pretty good. I couldn't come up with any real good ones on that. No, I, I think the best part of this book is is just the idea of it. Like yeah, just the general sure. idea of it for sure. Yeah, um, I'll 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 lead us off with uh with scenes, um, or just moments or just moments. Yeah, uh, so I think the the starting, I think when he's opening the copper gates, I believe, and it's the war games, um, uh, where he's like he's acting out the main character in the movie, and he's supplying lines and. He's performing the actions. I was just thinking, like, as I was reading that, I was like, that would be so cool. <laughs> like, that's all I could keep thinking. I was like, and then he's even talking about, it's like, yeah, uh, you know, um, Greg Gregorius Games, like, trademark this, and, like, you could do any movie you want. I was like, oh, could you imagine doing Star Wars or, like, <laughs> Lord of the Rings? I'm like, how awesome. And so, like, I really loved that moment. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I love when he figures out that where the uh, where the cave is, or where the first clue is leading them, and it's on his his little uh, school planet, whatever. I can't remember what that's called anymore. But Lotus, uh, right? Lotus. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. I think that's a really th- that whole sequence, like figuring it out, putting it all together, and then going to the cave. I thought Klein's did a great job with that of really getting the excitement to come through in the page and in the audiobook too uh you it's like even like i reread uh i i did the audiobook uh in november or maybe october right before the, the the second book came out and uh and listening to will wheaton read that that section i was like i was really kind of pumped up because it's and I, I mean i've read it like five times up to that point um but it really he does a great job of of getting that out there and making mm-hmm. that feel making that feet making you feel that I, it's a really cool moment to me 
And I love all the yeah. stuff with Og too. Like I mentioned, the whole father figure stuff. I think is so. Anytime Og is in is in the the book, high five or one or two of them are interacting with Og. I think they're those are really, uh, really strong moments in the book. I actually had that first one you mentioned to the just like that first key he finds. That's the, so cool. On the home planet is great, and then like the the conversation with Artemis afterwards, where mm-hmm. he like finally meets this girl he's had a crush on forever, and you know. He thinks it's going so smoothly, and then comes to find out she's just like trapping him, or <laughs> like she throws up this uh this like shield, the shield where yeah. he can't get out for so many hours. It's just a great, great little <laughs> moment. Yeah. Um. I obviously I feel like you can't mention like the giant battle at the end when they're all at Castle Anorak, and they finally get the shield down. All the Gunters come in and they fight, and Sorrento is controlling Mecha Godzilla, which is so stinking cool and they he turns into ultraman at one point there's giant robots going everywhere it's awesome i think i will say the final battle i think is one part where the movie probably did justice um to a certain extent hard disagree okay well there were parts of it there were moments in the final battle when i'm like okay that was really cool but they had i yeah, they I, had to change so much of the story and they the plot. Did. I, well, okay, this is just a random <laughs> aside. I did the one thing I didn't like about the movie, the final scene is I've like they talk a lot about like respecting the creator's original wishes, right? Like, like we want to keep this accessible and keep this uh, low cost so that people can join it because that's what James Halliday wanted, right? Yeah. He's the creator. Yeah, right. Well, then they take the iron, the uh, oh, yeah, the closing uh, scene, they the close it like a couple. And it's like, well, you know, his whole thing was if a gun could talk, would it want to be a gun? Would it want to be a weapon? And the answer was no, right? But they take the, the big iron giant, and make him fight. And it's like, okay, well, I thought we were respecting creators' original wishes for their stuff, but I guess not. Yeah, Man, that I is, mean, that is that taking was, it to a whole level that I don't even think about. Like, that's like, whoo, like. <laughs> Well, that's probably because I'm an idiot. So, well, didn't Spielberg do Iron Giant? That was Brad Bird. Brad Bird did that's Iron Giant. That's our namesake, dude. You can't. I was not named after Brad Bird. That's Brad Bird. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> whatever. Uh, there were parts of the movie that I liked. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the movie too. Um, yeah, I like the movie. I, it's to me, it's very rewatchable. I throw that one on in the background when I'm writing something or working on podcast stuff. Pretty, I don't know, relatively frequently. It's just like a you know you're scrolling through and kind of not making decisions. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'll watch. I'll watch Ready Player One again. It's. I yeah, wish it was I, a I'll, series though. I think it would have been much better as a. Oh yeah. A Netflix series or or something like that. It's just such a. It's such a big world and it's it's the I think the world the, the book is not dense at all and that's something that I like about it but it's it there's a there's sort of a density to the structure of the world that I think could have been better explored in a you know an 8 or 10 part series over a uh, a 2 hour movie but you know it yeah. is it is what it is I mean, literally limitless possibilities and like, oh, you want to change genres like, okay, well, they'll go to a sci-fi world. Okay, they'll go to a swords and sorcery world. Okay, they'll go to a, you know, he'll be hanging out on his asteroid, you know, base or whatever, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I think 
another favorite part of mine was like after he got really rich and he was just talking about all the cool stuff that he collected yeah. and he's just like yeah i got this x-wing and i like yeah. got this and i was like that's so cool <laughs> yeah. yeah i would definitely do that especially if i was 18 years old no question yeah. Like, oh yeah I'd i get that yeah, oh, yeah i mean look at my i mean you know that I have 700 Chewbacca figures in my garage. So, yes, I, I would do that as well, but uh, especially at that age, no question. One more moment that I really like before we move on is I love the Og's birthday moment. The zero gravity. The zero gravity, That's like, cool. dance for it. I just thought that was a cool, a cool moment. Yeah. That was cool. Yep. They did that well in the movie, yes, right? Absolutely. <laughs> So let's get into our questions. Uh, the first question is, uh, we'll just go in uh, order of uh, Brad, Brian, and then myself. Um, so uh, if you were to pick one fictional fantasy sci-fi world to live in, which world would it be? So I, I chose Middle-earth. I think that like, in like the like, Oasis universe, like, you know, the Oasis universe, I think living in, in Middle Earth would be kind of sweet because one, you have like, you have plenty of bad guys to fight, right? Mm -hmm. like, if you want to just go and be like a uh, murder hobo for a little bit and just find a, a group of orcs and go to town, you can. Get but, lots of XP. Yeah, you can like farm XP with just some orcs or if you want to go on like, like some huge quest and take down Sauron, you can. So yeah, Middle Earth. Pretty cool. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful. So, can't go wrong with New Zealand, yeah, yeah. Always looks good. <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> I think I go Star Wars. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of Star Wars answers here for me. I'm sorry to say, uh, or I'm pleased to say, one way or the other. Uh, I, I, Star Wars is such a vast universe. You get into all of the uh, the expanded universe books that I definitely didn't read when I was a dorky 14 year old at the cafeteria lunch table by myself uh there's just a vast world that you can get into and so much fun stuff and if it it's a little bit like middle earth i think and that you can you could uh or really it's 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 kind of like the oasis itself you can kind of get you can get sure. a little bit of uh of Whatever everything inside the star wars universe so that's that's a it's such a vast world to to work in i think hmm not i mean both of those are like i feel like we're gonna get a bit of a the trifecta except brad's gonna greatly disagree with my answer so i said like i mean you could do middle earth you know like narnia uh, dc marvel star wars you know and so i picked the harry potter world that's awesome um which like i feel like being a wizard in like harry potter like living in that world just like i mean i have such fond memories of, like the first time i was reading through those books when I was in um, middle school and then in high school waiting as the books came out and just mm. like, I love them. And so, yeah, that would be my, my choice as well. That was um, my alternate choice. So I'm glad you, I'm glad I went star Wars. I'm glad you went Harry Potter. We can, we can represent them all three exactly. of those. Yeah. Exactly. 
Okay, so question two. If you had to choose one fictional weapon to wield, what would it be? One fictional weapon. Yeah, I. so I'm choosing the, the Darrow's Razor from Red okay. Rising. Okay, ah, that's a good one. I didn't nice. even think about it. Got, so I was, I was between... Uh, I came down to the, the Master Sword from Zelda. Ah, that's a good one, too. And the Razor from Red Rising. I just think the idea... Of the razor, so freaking sweet! Like, it can be a whip, it can straighten out to a sword or a sling blade. It's versatile. Um, yeah, you can wear it on your arm as a fashion piece. I mean, what's not to like? That's a great answer. That's a really good answer. Uh, I didn't think of that one, so I'm glad you did because that's a that's a good one. I just wanted the lightsaber. Lightsabers are cool. I don't. I mean, what what do you want to do? It's it's yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah. It's just it's, it's it looks awesome. You can spin it around. Um, you you can choose your own color. All that. I mean, there's a what reason color? why when you go to Disney World that you can you can spend 150 dollars in three hours making your own freaking lightsaber. It's because they're super cool. So I just yeah. I, I'm gonna be very basic and say lightsaber. So what color is your lightsaber in this scenario? I think green. I think the green just looks really cool on screen. So that's the uh, the blue the blue one kind of fades a little bit red. Obviously, you're a bad guy if you have red. I'm not really a bad guy, so uh, I think I just I think I'd go with green. You're Brad. You do purple, right? Oh yeah, purple lightsabers are sweet. <laughs> so I so I think the last time we t- Brad and I talked about this, he gave me a lot of grief. But in the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order game. Uh, that I played, uh, the color that I picked, I think it's technically like, I just call it light blue, but I think it's technically like uh, called cyan, but like, I love that color of the lighter blue. Okay. Um, it's not the sure. classic kind of blue. It's kind of like almost like um, from like a new hope color, you know, that lighter, okay. almost sure. white sure. kind of blue. Um, like yeah, lightsaber is a good choice. So I, I mean, there's so many choices. And so I thought of, you know, Mjolnir from, you know, from yeah. Marvel or Stormbreaker. And so I think what I chose was like a wand from Harry Potter is because there's so much you can do with it. Um, it's like, do I want to summon something? Do I want to create something? Do I want to make myself disappear? You know, uh, whatever it may be, like, I can do that. So that was my choice. That's a good one. Also a good one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question three is if you had to choose one fictional vehicle for yourself, what would it be? So I kind of cheated and chose two vehicles. Oh. So well, no, <laughs> one, 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 ve- one is for like on planet travel. And one oh, okay. is for Interplanet travel. So like I'm traveling on planet. I'm choosing a Rashadium from the Stormlight archive series. So it's okay. I haven't read those yet. So it's so, so it's simply it's going to sound lame, but the books make it sound cool. It's, <laughs> okay, it's a massive horse. Okay, it's a but it's a horse. It's, it's able a to, big horse. No, it's able to carry <laughs> like you know three times your average like human weight, and it has to choose you. So you have to be worthy of it. Oh, know, it's a whole thing. It's it's really cool. You had to be there. She goes to another school. 
Okay. <laughs> she doesn't even go here. Uh, and then for like off planet, like if I'm leaving, going somewhere else, I'd like to just take the Razor Crest from Mandalorian. That's a good one because it's kind of a cool ship. It is a cool ship. It is no no longer with us. Unfortunately, it's not. It's not. Unfortunately. Mm, R.I.P. Mm. Ryan, if you um, want to, if you want to break or bend the rule a little bit now, you can. I suppose. <laughs> I mean. I've been very basic so far, so I will say that my the first thing that came to mind is the Millennium Falcon. It's the freaking Millennium Falcon. Why, you know, why wouldn't I want to be in that? Uh, just in the the just for the purposes of being slightly different, I'll go slightly uh, a different level of basic and say the DeLorean. We watched Back to the Future the other day when we had no internet. I had to like pull out the the Blu-rays. I have like ten movies left that that I've kept, uh, and and Back to the Future one, and it's just such a. DeLorean's a cool car. Then you add the flux capacitor and all the cool stuff that goes with it. It's it's the best. It's just a really cool. I think that's what Ernest Klein bought too when he uh, when he made his money from Ready Player One. He went and bought. Uh, oh really? Oh, he bought the DeLorean from uh, Game of Thrones guy George R. R. Martin. So we just wow. complete the nerd circle with those two. But uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I. I thought of the DeLorean as well. I thought like uh, next swing. And then I was like, well, what if I want to like take more than just me? And so, you know, I was like, well, what if I got like, just went all out and got like a, a star destroyer. I'm like, ah, that's a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I, I came like back to the middle of the road, which is like, I'm like a millennium Falcon, you know, um, sure. I feel like I'd keep it a little bit cleaner Han and chewy, <laughs> but um <laughs> Not quite at uh, Lando levels, but you know, I was like, it's such, it's too hard to say, like, to say no. It's too cool to say no to. Definitely. Okay. Question four If you had to choose one fictional hideout, what hideout would it be? So my answer is not exactly subtle. So I don't know how well of a hideout it would be. Okay. But I would choose to live in Care Paravel, which is the, the big castle in the Chronicles of Narnia. That's uh, that's it's a like, hideout, I guess. <laughs> it's like overlooking this vast ocean with massive halls and huge ceilings. And I don't know. I'd like to live in a castle. Uh, can I choose Minas Tirith then? <laughs> sure. Yeah, of course. Why not? <laughs> uh, I, I went I, more I, in the literal sense of a hideout and I chose uh, uh, Desmond's bunker from Lost. You can just. As long as I can get some Wi-Fi down there and uh, just pull up League Pass or something, uh, I'd be pretty content to just never talk to anybody again and just you know be in, be punching in the numbers in the in the bunker. Well, your answer makes more more sense for the question, but I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't like know a, we could choose castles. I'll think of a castle. Sorry, but. I really I just wanted to throw in Narnia because I'd thrown in Middle Earth and I I don't know felt felt, felt sure. obligated. Yeah. Uh, so I chose the bat cave, um, <laughs> another better answer, <laughs> uh, which is uh, just like, I mean, you've got Wayne Manor live in, and then you get to hang out in the bat cave with all this cool, like memorabilia and paraphernalia from my successes in fighting crime, you know, like with this, with the butler. And I'm assuming Alfred comes with the Batcave. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Talk to Bruce about that, but um, yeah. And so you get the super computer and with all the stuff, and also like he has multiple Batcaves all over Gotham. And so, but that's that's my choice. 
That's a good uh, one. All right. That's a good one. Lastly, probably our, we've already made this known, but after this book was written, did you want or expect a sequel? No, I, I mean, I didn't expect it for sure. Um, I thought the sequel was fine. I know we're going to talk about this later, but I thought the sequel was, was fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt like this book had a good resolution at the end. So, no, I didn't expect a, a sequel. Yeah. I was not pining for another one. Uh, I thought it was, this is such a, a well self-contained story and that it didn't need to do, need to be further explored. But I also know how um, the business works. So I did, I expected at some point we're going to return to this in some way or another, whether it's a, a direct sequel like that where the, you know, the second book picks up pretty close to the end or at least the events, the Apple or the, the prologue of the first book kind of lead directly into, uh, or from the, from the first book. Um, so I guess I expected it, but I was not really hoping for it. So and I'm kind of with Brad, like it was, it was fine. It was fine. I, I felt like the, I feel like the criticism of this book uh, that, that that people really, you know, the overly nostalgic and uh, Wade's a kind of a tool and, and all these, these other things. I felt like that just came true in the second book. So it's just like <laughs> yeah. all that stuff was, was much more, um, the criticism was much fairer in, of the second book than of the first book, but, I, but it was fine. It's a fun world. It's, just I think that if he was going to return to the well, I would have preferred him to do so with different characters, a different story, yeah. something that's happening within the Oasis or just outside the Oasis, whatever, something that would have been a little more original because so much of the second book just felt like copies of the stuff that was in the first book and then just tropes from every sci-fi movie and book that that's you know that's ever been written so yeah i mean i don't know if i can put any better than that it's just like yeah i wasn't i was perfectly content with it's like man this was a one-off and like go write in other sci-fi stuff and so like i know we i mentioned armada earlier and like um it was nowhere near as good as ready player one but i thought it was still a fun book um a fun new concept that he was trying to branch out into um with um like an actual alien invasion and like um but yeah i yeah i just like it's like man i was fine with without having a sequel and like you said if it the way that he they kind of retconned because this is like Ready Player One is Ray Wade giving his like autobiography. You know, at the beginning, he's like, you know, this is to clear the air from all of the, the mm-hmm. like TV shows and the movies and other books that have been written. Like, I'm telling my version. Sure. At that, I was kind of like, okay, so like, what what does that mean if there's going to be another one? Like, I was thinking like, yeah, maybe it's his. Is in he and Artemis get married and they have a kid and it's his heir like having to deal with a new issue or something like that. But sure. yeah, yeah, we've got a sequel. We'll probably get a third one now. 
probably yeah. read that. Yeah, and- I mean, that's just the way where Armada was the first hint to me that we're, or at least to me was the first time I was like, oh, we're definitely gonna need a sequel at some point then because Armada felt like it was, that's another one that I, I liked. I thought it was fine, but it, it is very tropey of uh, like the last Starfighter and um, Ender's Game and Tron and like has all these, all these things that were popular in the eighties, there's a lot of tropes from that instead of just nostalgia for that in Armada. And that kind of made me feel like, okay, we're maybe running up against it from a creative standpoint. And that usually is what leads to, all right, I'm going to revisit the thing that, you know, was my most successful thing. And we'll see if I can rediscover the magic with that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Overall reflections, final grades. Brad, you wanna we would just keep in the same order? Sure. Yeah, I mean I, I like this book. I think it you know, like it's kind of weird. I feel like rating books sometimes because there's a different level of book. Um you know, there's some books that you read and you're like, wow, that that was really fun. I enjoyed that and I loved it. I think the world's really neat. And there's some books you read and you're like, okay, well that's this is like a literary classic, you know, like this um you know, like where you know, you read Brandon Sanderson, you know, or like Tolkien and try to compare it to Ernest Klein. You're like, well, this, I don't know. This is completely different. It doesn't work, you know? So I find rating things kind of weird, but I, I'll give it an A minus because I do like this, but it's a lot of fun. It's just fun. I mean, yeah. You know, I feel like when I, last time I read this, it's easy to just not think too deeply about things and just let it go and just just enjoy the story and have a lot of fun with all the references and, and whatnot. So yeah, an A minus for me. Yeah. A plus for me, like I said, it's one, it's one of my very favorite books and one that I I reread pretty frequently. So, um, that's, that's an easy A plus for me. And I I do think, I, I think you're right, Brett. Like you can't, you can't compare this to like, I don't know, Dickens, you know, or something like that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's or Shakespeare. <laughs> Or whatever. It's not. It's it's not a literary classic, but I do think it has more literary value than 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 maybe. How do I phrase that? Uh, it 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 has more literary value than it has any right to have. Like this should just be a fun, stupid sci-fi fantasy, but instead, like it has some social commentary whether Kleins does that well or not i think it's fair to to talk about or question or whatever but i do think it has some a, soci- a social uh element a, a social a socioeconomic element to it and there's a li- there's a little bit of a literary vein somewhere in there like i know this does get taught in some classrooms and stuff like if you've got a cool english teacher maybe you're reading ready player one instead of uh, 12th night or something you know and yeah, and yeah. i think that that it doesn't it's not an outlier so much so that you're like this doesn't fit at all with the rest of this it 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 very yeah. much rem- i don't know what y'all's education was like uh in high school and whatnot but um i i there were i had a couple of cool english teachers and in those in those classes we read a lot of shakespeare we read a lot of dickens and uh jane austen and you know all this stuff that is the typical like that's what you read in an english class but we also read the hobbit and uh i read ender's game in an english class and you know little little things like that that you're kind of sort of bridge the gap between 
these sort of stuffy classics that if you're anything like me, I was like, please literally anything, but the old man in the sea, like I can't, I can't freaking handle it, you know? Um, but wasn't like, uh, you know, James Patterson or something, you know, there's somewhere in between those two things. I do think it has sort of a literary bent to it. Um, if you can, if you're not totally turned off by the nostalgia element and the, the references and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, so I'm shooting just in the middle of between y'all. I give it an A, a solid A. And yeah, I really like this book a lot and just love how it, it captures your imagination. You know, that's, I mean, there's some, a lot of books out there that like you can have a cool idea. Um, you can have all of that stuff. But if you can't write it down in a way that's like it captures you, then like, then what's the point? Um, sure. but like in this book, I think it definitely like, I think would say it captured all of us mm -hmm. and captured our attention and like our imagination just being like, Oh man, that's so cool. And, um, even the stories, like we talked about, like the hero's journey and his progression and, uh, the description and yeah, it's not a perfect book by any means. And it's like, this is a, this is a fun read and it's one that I'll return to again and again and again. And, um, yeah, so that's why it's an A for me. All right. Before we go, uh, Brian, just giving you a chance to plug anything you want to plug. I know that you have a couple of podcasts and you do some writing as well. So if you'd like to talk about any of that, you can. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I have a movie podcast that mad about movies. We've been going for about eight years. We just completed our seventh, seventh hundredth. That's a tough word to say for some reason. Seven hundredth episode. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's awesome. So we've been rolling for for a long time, and uh, it's a it's a pretty good show. And then I do a basketball podcast called Spread the Floor. Uh, that we I think actually this this week will be our hundredth episode. So we're we're still uh, babies compared to Mad About Movies, but uh, yeah, Mad About Movies. We we break down a movie of the week, usually whatever is the biggest movie that's in theaters or you know streaming services right now, since we can't uh, really go to theaters. Then we have a Patreon club where we we do a, a throwback every week or a retrospective like we're doing. Uh, this year we're doing retrospectives of The Office season by season. So we just put out season or we this week we're putting out season two of The Office uh, looking back at that. And we're also doing uh, Marvel movies, uh, kind of like you guys, uh, what you guys are doing. We're, we're not doing it movie by movie. We're, move, we're doing them kind of by groups. So we did... Uh, we do the Iron Man movies in January. We do the Ant-Man movies next month, things like that. And Spread the Floor just talks basketball. We try to be national as much as possible. We're My co-host and I are both uh, Mavs fans, so we, 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 tr we, we lean that direction, but we try to make it uh, a, a full NBA podcast, not just Mavs-centric or anything like that. And then if you really are interested in anything that I've – I can't imagine that you are, but uh, I've, I've written a couple of pop culture essays that are available on uh, Gumroad. Uh, for free or for zero dollars plus so pay what you want is essentially what that means but uh but that's just at, at, at brian brian you can just search my name brian gill b-r-i-a-n-g-i-l-l at uh on gumroad and and pick those things out if you're interested in that kind of stuff awesome thanks for coming brian we really yeah, appreciate it thanks for having me guys this was fun i enjoyed it absolutely All right, everybody, that's going to do it for another episode of The Brad Report. We hope that you dug what you heard. We hope that you will like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, follow us on social media. And until next time, love you 3,000.